Hey, Philly, are you doom scrolling? Well, cut it out. There's a better way to get your news. Philadelphia's local news podcast is called The John Cast. Check out The John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. There's been a lot of discussion about transgender athletes in recent months, from Leah Thomas's success as a swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania to state legislatures across the country working overtime to keep transgender kids off the field and off the court. So much of the discussion is in bad faith, with those taking part more concerned about the politics than the people. We wanted to talk about transgender athletes, remembering that these are kids and young adults that in many cases are being used to score political points. Our guest is Ann Lieberman, Director of Policy and Programs for Athlete Ally, an organization whose stated mission is to educate and activate athletic communities to eliminate homophobia and transphobia in sports. Just to give us some context, I mean, obviously you're not going to have an exact number, but ballpark, do we know how many transgender youth, young adults are participating in sports right now? We don't have an exact number, but we know that there aren't a ton of trans youth participating in sports. When we look at the legislation that has either been passed or been proposed, many lawmakers in those states can't even cite examples of trans athletes in those states. But the idea of trans athletes competing, it's not, this is not something, I think a lot of people are coming into this thinking that athletes like Leah Thomas, that this has never happened before this, but we have had trans athletes competing for some time, correct? Absolutely. If we take the NCAA trans inclusion guidelines as an example, the original set of guidelines that the NCAA put out was in 2011. That's over a decade ago. So even at the college level, we've seen trans athletes participating in sports for a number of years. And same with the high school level. If we look at the Olympic level, there has been a trans inclusion policy in place on some level since 2003. So this by no means is new. It's just become an incredibly politicized issue and conversation. With regards to older trans athletes, when I say older, I mean high school, college, are there steps they have to take before they are greenlighted to compete? That's a great question. The answer is yes. But there is a patchwork of policies across the states, which makes it incredibly confusing and really onerous for trans athletes to participate. And quite honestly, many athletes stop participating at higher levels of sports because the policies are inconsistent or perhaps they're far too invasive. I mean, we have some policies with national governing bodies that still require trans athletes to get surgery in order to participate, which has those kinds of policies have not been in place at the highest levels of sport for decades. So there are definitely steps that that are outlined, but they vary from state to state, sport governing body to sport governing body. It's it's quite frankly, it's a, a mess. <laughs> With regards, you mentioned the NCAA and Olympic. Let's kind of talk about their protocols, you know, are they on point? Are they where they should be? Uh, are they too onerous? Are they, you know, where would you kind of put them? Let's start with 
the International Olympic Committee. So in November of 2021, the IOC released new eligibility criteria for transgender athletes and athletes with intersex variations. And the North Star of that set of guidelines essentially was inclusion, non-discrimination, and non-presumption of advantage. So essentially what that says is, when we think about non-presumption of advantage is we can't simply assume just because an athlete is transgender or has an intersex variation that they automatically have an advantage in sport, that we understand competitive advantage to be far more far more complex than somebody's gender identity, which is really, really significant. So the IOC has made really big strides to say we need to focus on inclusion of athletes at all levels, non-discrimination, non-presumption of advantage. The NCAA had a a policy in place for almost a decade that it overturned very quickly when there was a tremendous amount of backlash surrounding Leah Thomas. So the current NCAA policy is far more focused on policing athletes' bodies and testosterone levels for trans women athletes than it has ever been before. I think that the previous NCAA policy was far more inclusive and actually represented the best thinking at the time in terms of trans inclusion in sport. We never want to make sport policy contingent on political opinion because that is not science and that is not fundamental human rights for all athletes. And the way in which the NCAA changed its policy quickly, of course, doesn't only impact trans athletes, because anytime the NCAA changes a policy mid-season, that has implication, that sets precedent, essentially, and has implication for any other sports mid-season. So we also want to think about this from a process perspective and how we're ensuring equity and fairness in process for all athletes, not only trans and non-binary athletes. What we're seeing here and the Leah Thomas success at Penn was the catalyst for so much of this discussion. What do you think? I think there's like this, this mix of things at work here. There's transphobia, obviously. Uh, I think there's a lot of politicians using this as a way to get ahead because it speaks to their constituency. I think there's a genuine people who don't understand and not, I don't mean good faith, bad faith. They're just kind of confused. It doesn't affect them. So they, but I also think there's our toxic, what I consider a toxic youth sports culture in this country where the only reason people got so up in arms about Leah Thomas was because she was good and maybe she was beating their kid or their school. You know, if Leah Thomas was finishing seventh in Ivy league races, I don't think uh, a portion of these people would have cared. Do you agree that it's not just one thing that's kind of driving this discussion? Absolutely. It's a number of different things. I would also add the scholarship conversation has been one that's been particularly problematic because if you know anything about the way people are recruited for college athletics, it is not a single race time <laughs> that gets you a college scholarship. It is any host of sets of performances throughout a number of different seasons for many institutions it's your academic performance it's you know 
having to do with ratios on teams. It's who the, where the coach is recruiting from. There's so many, there's a lot of complexity around recruitment in general that's lost in these conversations that just because Leah Thomas wins one race does not mean that, that Leah is now automatically going to be chosen for the Olympic team, for example. Um, when we think about toxic sports culture, I'm really happy you brought this up because what we see underpinning all of these conversations is a deep, deep sexism that impacts and hurts all women and girls. Because essentially what this conversation is about, that people inherently believe that people assigned male at birth always will be bigger, faster, stronger than people assigned female at birth. And this is why we say in our work that homophobia is a weapon of sexism, because we are saying that if a woman is too good, then she competes her way out of the female category, that there's no way she can actually be a woman. And this rhetoric, it doesn't only occur with trans athletes. We see this across the board, and we see this also impacting black and brown athletes whose femininity is questioned because they don't fit into very specific boxes of, of white Western femininity. The other thing around the toxic sports culture as well is how we are socializing kids of different genders to play with one another. And so one of the things that I've heard from youth programs across the board is, and this is in all different areas of the country, that, well, we, we want our kids to play together at younger ages, but essentially the boys are means to the girls. They won't pass the girls. They won't, you know, so there's all, there's already at such a young age, this idea that boys are better at sports than girls, that girls are inferior in sports. And so there's, there, there's work that we need to do at a youth level to ensure that kids are playing together and see the athletic prowess and capabilities of young women and girls. And the, the last piece I'll say about the toxic sports culture, which I think is also really important, is when we look at so many of the challenges facing women and girls in sports right now, gender equity, sexual harassment and assault, lack of women coaches, lack of women in leadership positions in, in major sporting organizations and on either the men's or women's side at the pro level, there are so many really deep challenges that we see that have nothing to do with trans athletes. And it's really important that we listen to the women and girls who have been fighting for gender equity in sport for decades, because the ones that have been there, folks at the Women's Sports Foundation, for example, they're not talking about trans athletes. That's because trans athletes are not a threat to women's sports. Sexism is, misogyny is, toxic sports culture is. So I also want us to be able to reframe this conversation to say, we love women's sports. And if we do love women's sports, then let's talk about how we actually support women's sports. Yeah. And I, I would say, in my opinion, a lot of the people screaming the loudest about the damage this is doing to women's sports are not people that care at all about women's sports. They just see it as a vehicle they can use to ad advance their cause and not make it seem as uh, as awful a, a platform they're on as it is. Absolutely. And what we're looking at is politicians building campaigns on the backs of children. And that's horrifying. Yeah, to that, you know, 
we've looked at a lot of it, you know, kind of analytical, and I'm going to have more questions on that. But, you know, we focus on the college and the Olympic, but we're seeing a lot of legislation passed on the youth level. And, you know, famously, you know, Utah passed laws that restricted kids in youth sports, and the governor vetoed it and wrote a very poignant letter why he was vetoing it and the legislature just overrode the veto like it was you know uh, and basically it was one kid one kid in the state of utah that this really affects and i'm just trying to imagine and i'm not sure how old the kid was but a kid that's probably already filled with questions about who they are you know 10 11 12 years old and to see a state pass i i can't imagine how overwhelming and what that must how that must feel i i just i can't even get my head around it it's so incredibly heartbreaking that I don't even have words to describe the kinds of things that we have seen in state legislatures across the country with kids literally begging lawmakers, you're supposed to protect me. Why are you trying to pass laws that are hurting me and keeping me from playing sports with my friends? Am I not like any other kid? And we know from our friends at the Trevor Project that the mental health of LGBTQI plus youth and especially trans non-binary youth is severely declining with the amount of bills that are being heard. And when you think about exactly what you said, what is it like to sit and listen to, even if your parents try to shield you from it, it still is, is in your state. It's still in the, you still hear it lawmakers and adults in your life debate whether or not you have a right to exist, because that's really what we're talking about here is, is do trans and non-binary people, do trans and non-binary kids deserve to participate in, in public life and be in public space? We need to take a break. We will continue our conversation with Ann Lieberman right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. Continuing our conversation with Ann Lieberman, Director of Policy and Programs for Athlete Ally. We talked about kind of the protocols and such. In a perfect world, how would you like to see, are there things that people of good faith could do in that are in positions of power of leagues, uh, you know, athletic departments, stuff like that, uh, that aren't being done that would be good ways to to safeguard trans athletes? Absolutely. The, the first piece is at the K through 12 level, especially, we should have policy uniformity and kids should be able to participate in line with their gender identity. That has been a shared viewpoint of many different human rights organizations, not only LGBTQI plus organizations for a number of years. I think the second piece is, to your point previously, I have to believe that there is more misunderstanding about trans people and trans kids than there is outright hatred. Often people are afraid of what they don't understand. And so there really needs to be a broad-based attempt for education on trans and non-binary inclusion in sport. And so if you are the coach of a team, if you're a part of a league, you know, there are organizations that can do educational events and trainings just so people can understand 
what's happening right now in the current context? What's the policy landscape? What does this look like for trans kids who want to play sports? Um, and I think what we've also heard, which is real, is that people are really afraid to ask questions um, about trans and non-binary inclusion because they're afraid to say something wrong or they're afraid to be canceled because they've said something wrong. And it's important that we're able to engage in dialogues and that there are organizations like Athlete Ally out there who are able to provide educational resources so people feel like they have a better understanding of, of what it means to be a trans or non-binary athlete in this context. And then, you know, the final piece is I always like to say that if there's something about our conversation today that resonated with you that you want to learn more about we have to talk to one another and we have to share what we're learning and what we're listening to with people in our network so i would also say it's important to share resources from not only organizations like athlete ally but trans and non-binary athletes and to diversify our social media sources that we're looking at every day and to follow some different folks in our network so we really can keep any conversation going well beyond when a podcast ends or our education session ends. Getting back to the the mental health of these the youngsters, overall, despite we're in an awful political environment, but part of the reason we're in an awful political environment is that progress is being made. And if there's nothing we haven't learned in American society, it's that progress leads to backlash. But have we how much progress have we made in serving these kids and being aware and caring for their mental health? I think we've actually made a tremendous amount of progress given the backlash we're facing. Obviously, I think there's been some serious backward movement on the legislative front, but I will say that the organizations like the Trevor Project working on LGBTQ plus mental health, organizations like ours doing work at the intersection of LGBTQI plus rights and sports, we're seeing so much more support for our work and for trans and non-binary athletes than we saw even in the past five years. And just to give some concrete examples of that, you know, if we look at starting with the backlash we saw around Idaho's HB 500 in 2020, which was, which was the first athlete ban to pass. We saw shortly after that, thousands of college athletes pressure the NCAA to move championships out of Idaho and out of any other states that passed anti-trans legislation. We saw hundreds of pro Olympic and Paralympic athletes from Billie Jean King to Candace Parker to Megan Rapino write op-eds, speak out, sign open letters, talking about their their support of, of trans youth in sports and also just more broadly speaking. Um, and we've also seen, we talked about this a little bit previously, these new IOC guidelines that center on inclusion, non-discrimination, and non-presumption of advantage and really center athlete experience and stakeholder engagement in the development of any eligibility criteria moving forward. And that's at the highest level of sport. So I think we're seeing a massive amount of support, especially from elite women athletes in support of trans athletes and trans inclusion in sport. And we often 
don't get to talk about that progress because it's it's we're constantly under fire with trying to beat back all of these pieces of legislation and all of the horrible things that are being said in that the media is picking up. But I do have a lot of hope because of the way in which we're seeing the global athletic community speak up in and show up for trans and, and non-binary athletes. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.